This morning, we're going to finish up this series by dwelling not just on courage, but on the character which makes courage faithful. Courage. Because not all courage is faithful. We're going to study a man named Nehemiah. Uh, Nehemiah was a man of great courage, but not only was his courage great, it had that particular quality, those characteristics, which made it faithful courage. We meet Nehemiah at the very end of our Old Testament timeline, which we've been sharing with you. Long before Nehemiah came onto the scene, the disaster of the Babylonian exile occurred. King Nebuchadnezzar sent his armies in to the holy city of Jerusalem and they ruined it and dragged all of God's people off into captivity. They were there in Babylon for long enough to make many of them believe that they should give up on God's hope. Long enough for an entire generation to die off and a new generation to be born. Long enough to to really raise the question, okay, and this is for people who knew God, to raise the question of whether it was right to put their trust in God after all because of how bad things had become. I know this. Some of you who are in here who followed after God have faced days just like that, haven't you? where it's so hard to go on believing because of how difficult it has become. They were there for 70 years, which was not long enough to erase the beautiful memory of their city, Jerusalem. Against all odds, God moves in the heart of a new king in Persia named Cyrus, and and he allows the people of God to return to their city. Uh, In two phases, they go back, one to rebuild the temple, a second to go and begin to learn God's law again. These two stories are in the book of Ezra. A third group heads back to the beautiful city, and that's the story of Nehemiah. And that's where we meet Nehemiah. And what happens is very simple. Nehemiah, because of his courage, ends up saving God's people from almost certain obliviation. They're almost completely removed when we meet Nehemiah. And because of the quality of his courage, they survive and continue long enough for the Messiah to come to Jerusalem. What I want you to see this morning as we look at Nehemiah is to see what is the quality of courage that makes it faithful so that anyone can have an immensely important part in God's plan. Now, before we go to Nehemiah, I want to tell you this about what I think of you. It is that every one of you, wherever you are placed in life right now, every one of you, has an invitation from God to be courageous in just such a way that you play a part in God's unfolding plan, which only you yourself can play, and which, even though it may look much smaller than the part that Nehemiah plays, is as important from God's perspective as any other part of his plan is because every one of us is meant to have courage which is faithful in order to play our part in God's plan. Here is where Nehemiah is exemplary to us. When we meet Nehemiah, and when we first meet him, he exhibits the first quality that makes courage faithful, and that is humility. Now, there's going to be five on this list. I didn't put the number there because I didn't want to give that away, but I couldn't help it. So if you're a note taker, number one is humility. It's the first characteristic which makes courage faithful. If you give a courageous man who lacks humility some power, you know what he becomes eventually? He becomes a tyrant. 
Now think of it. You mix arrogance and self-importance with courage, and then you add power, and you have the makings of a dictator, especially if that person has a will to lead. There are innumerable historical instances of this, and they're not hard to find. When we first meet Nehemiah, he has the will to lead, and he has the courage required to do so, and he has some power too. The question is, will he have the quality of humility which makes courage faithful? When we meet him, he's the cupbearer to the king, Artaxerxes I, uh, which means he's trusted with some enormous power. The cupbearer is the guy who has to test every single drink the king will drink so that if he dies, the king doesn't have to drink it. How do you like that job? You can see that maybe you get to taste some good things, right? But you are also trusted with an enormous amount of power because the life of the king, the most powerful man in Persia at this time, is literally in Nehemiah's hands when we first encounter him. Now, there in Susa, with this important job, Nehemiah's brother and a few other friends, they depart from Jerusalem. They were in the first two groups to go back to the city to come to give Nehemiah a report of how things are going in the city of God's people. And the news is bad. Even though the exiles have returned, the city lies in ruins. In particular, the the wall that is meant to protect that city from the hostility of the enemies who are no friends of God's people lies broken and burned. And because of this news, Nehemiah hears it. He's so moved by it. He sits down and he begins to weep because it breaks his heart that the thing that he knows God has promised, which is that one day this city would be the place that the Messiah comes to. He knows that that promise seems altogether lost and that breaks his heart when he hears it. He mourns, he fasts, he won't even eat for days. That's how that news affects him. Listen, connect with it in this way. If you are a person who's begun to believe in God and follow after him and you have something that you've been led to hope for as God's plans for you, but it's broken and ruined instead. If that's God's call for you, it should break your heart. Whether it's a broken relationship or a a job career that's not working out or something that's happening with your children that is utterly devastating and you can't control, do, do some of you know what it's like to weep and mourn because God's plans seem lost? Yes? What Nehemiah shows us in this moment, listen now, is courage which has the quality of humility. Look at how he prays in this moment. This is the first chapter of Nehemiah. Verse 5, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, he begins his prayer by reaching out to the great and awesome God who always keeps his promises and who is always trustworthy and whose love never ends. He says this, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for your servants, the people of of Israel. He asks for an open ear. God, hear me, he is saying. Here he shows us what all of us are invited to do in prayer, which is to ask God to trust him and to come to him with our requests. But look at what he does before he makes a request. Confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you, both I and my family have sinned. Before he asks for anything at all, he lifts to this great God the truth that the reason that he is where he is and God's own people are where they are is because of their decision 
altogether to walk away from God. The, the Old Testament is quite clear about this. Every step we take out of God's will and away from him is a step that is bad for us. And the reason God's people were in exile in the first place was because of their sin. But what Nehemiah does here, if we'll focus in on it, shows us humility, which is the prerequisite for anyone who has courage that is faithful. And not only does he lift the sins of God's people, but notice he takes responsibility by naming right up front his own personal share in the situation. Look, both I and my family have sinned. He names his own failure right up front before God. His own situation is bad, but instead of blaming other people or evading his own missteps, he starts by pointing the finger at himself, and this is what humility looks like. Listen now. It is a rare quality in someone who has power and who has courage and who has the will to lead to start by taking responsibility for his own failures. Do you know that? But the other side of that is without humility, courage combined with power and leadership cannot be faithful. And that's the truth. And wherever you have been placed, listen now, where you're invited to be courageous, whether if, if it's with your family or your spouse or your children or your parents or at school or at work, you need courage. And the first thing which will make your courage faithful is whether it's humble or not. And that means that you're not on the lookout all the time to blame everyone else, but instead, and before God especially, you're willing to say, this is my part. Uh, have you heard this? Those who exalt themselves will be humbled by God, but those who humble themselves will be lifted up by him. Have any of you heard that? Jesus said that often to his friends because it's the truth. And the fact is, there is no better example of this fact than in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who though he was in uh, though he was found to be equal with God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but instead he emptied himself, and then in humility he was found to be born in the form of a servant. And Jesus himself, through his humility, allowed his own uh, friends to mistreat him and reject him, the very people he came to save. And, and what God did in response to this is because of Jesus' humility. When he died and rose again, God uh, let him sit at his right hand and gave him the name that is as high above every other name as any name ever could be. Jesus humbled himself and God exalted him. Uh, you can read about this on your own in Philippians chapter two. The principle is clear. If our courage is going to be faithful, the first thing that has to be true about it is that it must be courage that is humble. And we see that magnificently in the character of Nehemiah. If you are going to move forward in whatever way God has invited you to move forward in courage, either today or in any of the messages this summer. And this is critical. If you are going to have a significant part in God's plan, which you were made for, it will require, first of all, humility. Now, that's the first characteristic. I know that in a group like this, there are some of you for whom this is a very pointed challenge because you are not the person who's inclined to look at your own shortcomings. I can relate to that because in some seasons in my life, that's been me. On the other hand, I bet there are some who in here right now have a new reason to feel bad about themselves. Am I right? Oh, it's another thing I don't do well. I wish I was more humble. I'm the worst. There's a kind of humility that shades off into self-reproach and self-loathing 
that has nothing to do with the character of humility that true courage that follows after God has. And if right now you have a voice in your ear after this first calling that says, oh, you can't play any part in God's plan because you are just such a sinner. And, and, and therefore, until you get that worked out, stay back, resign, and don't do anything. If that's the kind of humility that this story inspires in you, listen, there's no room at all for that kind of false humility in, in, in courage, which is faithful. It's nothing like the humility that Nehemiah has. In fact, courage, which is faithful, uh, it believes, listen now, that the power that you have, which isn't enough, doesn't undo things. Because the truth is, it is the power that God has, which has been given to you, which is exactly enough for what you've been called to. And as a result, this is the second quality of courage, which is faithful. As a result, you are a person of diligence. And this we see massively in the character of Nehemiah. Nehemiah knows that he is at fault and he leaves that aside right away and is diligent, which means dedicated to consistent hard work. Nehemiah is a brilliant example of what it looks like to be industrious and committed even as he is humble. I want you to look with me at the very end of the prayer, with, which opens with such humility. This is verse 11. After uh, confessing his sins and reaching out to God, here's what he asks for. This is verse 11. Give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Uh, this man is his boss, Artaxerxes. It's the king. And what Nehemiah thinks of when he understands that God's called him forward in courage, is he thinks of the precise location where he finds himself. I want you to do this right now. Stop wishing that you were somewhere other than where you are, especially if where you are is a place that you don't want to be. Let it go and look at exactly where you are. That's what Nehemiah does. He thinks of the man who he reports to, the king, and then what he asks for is not that God would make it so the king issues a decree that leads to the wall being rebuilt. He doesn't ask that God would wave a magic wand and make everything that he's always wished for come true. Neither one of those is the kind of courage that is diligent. Instead, he asks God for success in the work that he personally will have to do if God's plans are going to move forward. That's why he asks for success in relationship to the king who he works with. This is exactly how it's going to work with every one of us right here. Our courage is going to be faithful only when it is courage which is committed to being diligent. Only when we ourselves possess the quality of diligence. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Where are you right now? And what is the work that you personally can do right there with courage, which is going to take to move things forward? Please, let your mind go to whatever it is that God is calling you to and be specific here. In Nehemiah's case, it was he was going to have to have a conversation that was very uncomfortable with his boss and basically ask him to take a leave of absence to go put his hands to work on a project that he knew God wanted to be completed. What is it for you? And everyone can do this. If you're a student, what is God's project for you at school? Uh, if you're a sibling, what is it with your siblings or in your family or with your friends? or it, Here, maybe it's uh, the group that you're involved in here at the church and the, the place where you've committed to be in ministry or the place where you've not yet committed and you've been asking God to help. 
Like Nehemiah, here's what you must ask. God, give me success in the work that I must do. What happens with Nehemiah is after he prays this, he gets up and he goes and he has a conversation with the king himself. And he shows us what diligence looks like. You you ever know this person who says, you know, God, give me success in the race which is before me, but then they never get up and get into the race. Have you ever, uh, has anyone here ever done that? Of course, God will not do for us because we pray the things that God wants us to do on our own and the things which God himself has given us the power to do. The, The outcome with the king is magnificent. Because he asked for favor and he went to the king, the king says, you can go. And then, of course, he says, how long are you going to be? Because he wants to have someone to test his drinks, right? He's wondering, how long is it going to be? He sends him off with his blessing and with the promise of providing building materials for this project, but he doesn't send him off with nothing to do. Nehemiah is going to have to work really hard if this is going to succeed. He gets to Jerusalem. He surveys the damage on the wall, far worse than he realized. He begins to gather together all of the professional stonemasons, not even close enough to make the project work. So what does he do? He goes out to every family and tells them, you're going to have to get to work and your sons and daughters are going to have to work too. And mom's going to have to leave aside whatever she was up to, all hands on deck. He even goes to the officials and to the, no, the, the noble folks who are um, they're sipping their gin and juice and their mimosas. He says, you have to get involved as well. Get off your backs. Was that too much? That's a classic anachronism. But anyway, it's everybody has to get involved and they work and they work and they work and they work. And the kind of courage which is faithful is humble, but it never says, I just can't get involved. It secondly says, I'm gonna work like everything depends on me. Now it's us, our discipleship. And I mean you personally and Renaissance Church as a community is only going to make a difference for others in the world and for us personally when we are diligent and when we work at it. And there's nobody who can do for you what God is calling you to do. I can't do it for you as your pastor. I can't. Nobody around you can do it for you. You have to. Your church isn't going to do it for you either. God invites every one of us to step forward and do what only we can do and to have courage which is characterized by diligence. That's how it will be faithful at work, in school, with friends, with families. It will take work. Now, the outcome in Nehemiah's case, teaches us a third lesson. And it's very important. As they're working and as they're laboring at rebuilding this wall, and you should use your imagination here. Picture people who have no business uh, as masons gathered together trying to rebuild a great wall around a city. As that's happening, word gets out to the governors of the sort of surrounding provinces and their officials come Because they know if this wall goes up, that city's now going to be defensible. And those people, maybe their ancient promise of the Messiah, maybe that'll come about. So they come, and the first thing they do as they see it is they start mocking and ridiculing ridiculing Nehemiah. They laugh at him. Have you ever been laughed at when you're trying to do something that's the right thing? It's awful, isn't it? I mean, I can remember as a kid being mocked for trying to be a Christian. It was horrendous. Nehemiah is unfazed. He says, look, the work's going to continue. Not only do they mock him, then they bring uh, groups of thugs to come with swords and spears and bows to threaten the people who are at work on the wall with physical violence. Now, here's a man who's humble, but not, uh, you know, not, not the kind of person who retreats because he's hardworking and diligent, but his courage is really being tested. And what emerges in this 
Third moment is this third quality of what makes courage trust, uh, excuse me, faith worthy, worthy, which is trust. This is what makes our faith uh, and our courage truly effective. It's not that we trust in ourselves, but rather that we trust in God. Look at what he says to these detractors in 2.20. Here's what he says. The God of heaven is the one who will give us success. And we, his servants, are going to start building. Now listen, I hope, I hope that in the course of this message, you personally have been thinking of something in life, in your own life, which is like a wall that's broken and burned and useless because it's been wrecked. And now, as I've been saying, if you're going to have courage that is actually effective, you have to be diligent. And now, listen, I want to tell you this as well. I hope that it's occurred to you that there's no way you have the strength to do it. And as I've been preaching, I hope that you've been thinking, oh, if the pastor only knew how hard it is for me to actually be diligent with what I have to face, he wouldn't tell me this. It's just too much. And then I hope that some of you have asked the question, how could I ever have success? And now listen to the word of God again through Nehemiah. The God of heaven is the one who will give us success. And so your courage will be faithful when you don't rely on your own resources alone, but instead you trust in the one who is saying to you right now, you don't have enough strength, you don't have the skills, you don't have the power, you don't have the know-how, of course you don't, but I am with you to give you success. Right now, start building. Do you see it? I want God to press that into your heart in this moment in a true way. So whether it's family or work or calling or whatever it is, some personal issue that you've dragged into this place, that you're not thwarted from going forward when you look at how weak and miserable you are, but instead you're able to say, like Nehemiah, look, it doesn't matter how weak we are. God himself will give us success. If even still you're troubled deep down inside and you can't imagine how you'll ever make it facing what you have to face in this instance, I want you to see this word of God and I'm asking you to take the time at some point in this week to commit this word to memory. Psalm 46.1 tells the truth when it says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And that's who God is. Whatever your trouble is, God is not just present, but a very present help right there. Not before you get into the trouble or after you went through it, now that you're through it, God is with you. No, in the trouble that you have to face as a person wanting to follow him, you can trust and be assured that God is your refuge and strength right there. It's a promise for all time. For Nehemiah, it was very obvious that he trusted that, and that's why he could continue working despite resistance. Courage, which is faithful, trusts that God will be present, and God will help in whatever project his people undertake in obedience to him. Listen, listen to me, trust. Be humble. Work hard, be diligent. And trust God the whole time. Now, there is a fourth quality in Nehemiah uh, that we see very plainly, which I think may be the most concrete and tangible, and I would even say the easiest one for us as a group in here to hold on to immediately because of how real it is, without which there would be no success, even if all of the people had exemplary humility and perfect diligence and genuine trust. Without this fourth quality, there would be no wall to speak of. And that quality is 
generosity. Listen here. The only way the building project, which Nehemiah has done so much work to organize, is actually going to be completed is when there's enough money to make it happen. And no person amongst God's people, no one has enough to manage it on their own. Instead, everyone has to pitch in what they're able to in order to make it work. If, if we could put it in the form of an equation, hard work plus God's faithfulness plus money equals success. And here, Nehemiah is a real leader again for us. He is an exemplary character of the kind of courage, and it takes courage to be generous, that is, in fact, putting its money where its mouth is. Here's what happens. Nehemiah, before he stands before the people, inviting them to be generous, does what every leader must do if they're going to bring people from one place to another. He practices the kind of giving that he's going to ask others to practice. You can read about this very plainly in the narrative. As governor, and that was Nehemiah's official position when he got back to Jerusalem. As governor, he and his family were granted special privileges with land and food and resources, a level of pay that was higher than the average person and family in Jerusalem. Now, what he did with these benefits is instead of turning them into an occasion for lifting his own standard of living up ever higher so that he'd spend more and more on himself, is he set aside all of his excess to roll back into the building project. When it came to God's work, he knew, I'm going to be extraordinarily generous with what I have, and that is the only way it will come together. And he did that first. And listen now, some of you know this well, but others won't know this. The only reason that I'm able to be here and that, in fact, we are able to be here as a church is because in the history of Renaissance Church, there have been a number of families who, just like Nehemiah, decided not to adjust their quality of life up to their income and instead set aside their resources for extraordinary generosity. If you know about that, don't shout amen, but would you nod for just a moment? It's true. That's why we're here this morning. Now, after doing that, after setting aside his own privileges, so that he could be generous. He then stood before the people of God, and first, listen to this, he said, anyone here who doesn't have anything to give, because he knew that some of the families couldn't give anything, he said, there's no pressure on you, and you're off the hook. And in fact, that was true. They couldn't manage it, and he said, it's not on you. Then he gathered together the officials and the nobles, who, like him, had the ability to pitch in in an extraordinary way in God's work, and what he told them was, without your generosity, None of our diligence is going to build the wall unless we have the resources which cost money. And so what I'm going to ask you to do is to share the burden disproportionately as you can and chip in out of your excess so we ourselves can build what God is inviting us to build. The people are convicted when they say it, maybe because of his example, maybe because they know right now that everything they have belongs to God. And so they say, we promise we'll do it. But Nehemiah knows how easy it is to make a promise and how often people who say, I'm going to be generous, aren't really generous when they get there. Do you know this? And so what he does is he grabs a hold of his robes, and this is verse 13 in chapter 5, and he, he shakes them. He starts to shake his robes so that dust starts to fall out of them. He's been working on the wall all day, so it must have been quite dramatic. Can you picture it? Pig pen, it's like, the dust comes out, and he says this in front of all of these nobles who've just promised to give. He says, so may God shake out everyone from house and from property 
who does not perform this promise. Thus may they be shaken out and emptied. Uh, As the dust is falling, he's telling them, if you don't deliver on this promise, may God make your property and your houses and everything you got fly away from you like this dust from my jacket. When I read this, I I considered wearing a very dusty jacket this morning. (laughs) The, The only reason he has the gall to say this to the people is first of all, he's practicing himself what he's asking them to practice. Secondly, because he's convinced that everything they have already belongs to God in the first place. And then thirdly, because he knows the mission that requires their funds is from God and is worth investing in. And he says it, and as a consequence of his courage, the wall is completed. It comes together. And again, let me say that the seats that we're sitting in and the lights that are shining on me right now and this building and the salaries that have been uh, required to make this mission work over the decade behind us, they never would have come about if not for the extraordinary generosity of the families who t- more than 10 years ago thought about God's mission in Summit and in this area and said, let's give extraordinarily to what we believe God is calling us to do. Without their generosity, we would not be here today. And I'll tell you that since these early families did that, many of you in this place right now have been extraordinarily generous. And what I'm gonna tell you this morning without shaking my jacket is as we continue to be generous, God will bless us not so that we are rich ourselves, but so we can continue his work moving forward. And without extraordinary generosity, this effort will not work. And so uh, this is the fourth quality that must be true of our courage too. We have to be courageous in our generosity together as a church. And when we do, we should watch what God does, not for us, but for the kingdom that he means to build through our courage. There's a fifth quality which comes from the story of Nehemiah, which is also absolutely indispensable. And anyone who's, who's struck out to do something good will know how easy it is to get distracted from a good plan. Does anyone here know that? How many of you have made a resolution, you're going to do it, and then you're distracted by something on YouTube, and that's it, it's gone. (laughs) Has that ever happened to anybody else? Then you're watching a hamster fight an alligator, and you're like, what am I doing here? (laughs) Listen to this. It takes 52 days for them to build the entire wall. That's it. And the reason is the courage of Nehemiah is tempered by focus. And without focus, the humility and the diligence, the commitment to working really hard, the trust in God and all of the generosity just spreads out and goes everywhere. But in the case of Nehemiah, he knows the one thing they have to do. They have to restore this wall so that God's people can be protected so they can be put under God's word long enough for the Messiah finally to come. And that is exactly what happens because of the efforts of, Jer- uh, the efforts of, of Nehemiah is, is Jesus arrives on the scene and God's people are ready in a unique way to receive the Messiah because they remain focused not only for those 52 days but in the days ahead. And what you must understand, whoever you are, 
whatever the courage is that God is inviting you to have, and I really do hope and pray it's a particular thing that you have in mind, you have to remain focused on what God has invited you to because just as it was true for Nehemiah, there are going to be innumerable distractions that come. In his case, people showed up with threats, with promises, with all kinds of strategies to delay his work so that the wall wouldn't be completed. And what he said is what every one of us should say when it comes to what God has given us to pursue. In chapter 6, verse 3, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave and come down to you? And if you are pursuing a part of God's plan because God's put it in your heart that this is where your courage is meant to go, whether it's a small group that you're leading or ministry you're doing with young people or a new relationship that you're trying to make work in God's way or whatever it is, focus your attention on that. And when a distraction comes, you say like Nehemiah said, I am doing a great work. Why should I come down when I have this work to pursue? And, and now you trust that as you follow forward with God, maybe it will take a long time. 52 days is a long time. But you trust God, work hard, remain humble, and you give what you've got to God's efforts and watch what God does to bless you. This fifth quality, I chose this to wrap us up because I want to end our summer consideration uh, on, on courage to say in the most focused way that I can, why I want to see you growing in courage and why our church should grow in courage. It all comes down to what we've decided is our focus as a church. What is it? What's our wall? What's our reconstructive effort that we believe God has called us to? In a word, it is to grow as followers of Jesus. And that is a great mission that God's given us. To become men and women who see Jesus and because of what we're seeing, we're being changed by the vision that he gives us. And that change is enabling us to go out into the world around us, to, to put it in the most concise terms that we can. Our mission as a church is to build up disciples who invite and inspire others to love and serve Jesus together. That is our great work. It's a great work which is going to require courage, but if we'll put ourselves into it with humility, and if we'll be diligent and trust God, and if we'll be generous and remain focused on it, then I'm going to tell you what God is going to do. God is going to build something that is absolutely beautiful, not for us, but for the people that he's going to bring to himself who will come to know him and love him and will begin to serve him together with us. And let me share this last word. There is nothing better for men and women to be a part of than the building project of God's kingdom. And every one of us is invited to do it with courage that is faithful. What do you say? Amen. Let's pray together. God, we love you so much that you've invited us, every single one of us, to have a significant part in your plan. There are so many threats that we face every day. Some of them are deep and very challenging. What I ask for now is that you would have planted seeds in our heart from spending this time considering Nehemiah that would bear fruit as we're encouraged to have the kind of trust in you and obedience that results in courage that is faithful. Then lastly, we ask that you use each of us individually and all of us together to carry the mission that you've given to this church forward so that over and again, People are brought to you and transformed by your love so that more and more join this mission of making you known as they serve you and love you together. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.